welcoming you to another episode of the Mun Mukti podcast. The subject of today's episode is shame. Everyone experiences it to some level. Nobody wants to talk about it. And the less we talk about it, the more power it can have over us. It's fueled by secrecy. I recently spoke to licensed marriage and family therapist Aparna Sagaram about navigating experiences of shame and guilt, talking about how these differing but sometimes related feelings can impact well-being, relationships, and the ability to achieve fulfillment in life. I want to share some of that conversation with you today. Thanks for joining me today, Aparna. I'm so glad we could finally connect. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. All right, so we're like five months into this pandemic. Can you believe it? (laughs) I know, it's crazy. (laughs) Are you loving working from home or would you rather be in the office? I actually really like this sound. So I was doing a little bit of teletherapy before the pandemic hit. So I have experience with it, Um, but now I'm like pretty much fully teletherapy and I do miss my office. I miss my office plants. Is anyone (laughs) taking care of them or are you a little worried? (laughs) I go in once a week. I'm like making sure that they're watered. Oh, good. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not really a huge plant person. Like all my plants in my home are all fake. But I try to find the ones that look very much like alive and thriving. (laughs) So do you have like a dedicated office space at home? I do. Yeah, I do. I turned it into an office space um, since the pandemic just because it was. (laughs) So we've been like really into these cliche quarantine activities. Um, so I recently cut my own hair, which is, I would never do that in my life. (laughs) So what kind of cliche activities have you been up to? I actually cut my hair too, and it turned out horrible. (laughs) So as soon as as things lifted in Philly, I was like, I need an appointment ASAP. So yeah, they like open the salons here in California and then they shut them again. And I'm like, no, <laughs> now I have to do it myself. So I think I watched like 10 or 12 YouTube videos and then I did it and then I panicked in the middle of it. Like, oh no, what am oh I doing? I felt like full on Britney Spears at that moment. <laughs> oh my gosh. Why am I doing this? <laughs> but the one thing we haven't done is made Dalgona coffee. Have you done that yet? No, what is it? I don't know what that is. You don't? It's like when you take like instant coffee and whip it. Oh, the whipped coffee. Yeah, no, I have not done that. Yeah, we haven't <laughs> tried that yet either, but it's on the list at some point. And I haven't made a TikTok, but I did see that you had made a TikTok. <laughs> yes. Okay, that was so fun. I think everybody needs to try to make a TikTok. Yeah, I think so too. I'm going to try to get my toddler in on it. <laughs> Are you on TikTok? I was and then I deleted it from my phone because it's like a never ending like rabbit hole of <laughs> just like oh my gosh, you can how spend to decode your home. <laughs> yeah. All right. So for our listeners, Aparna, can you share a little bit more about yourself? Yes. So I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. Um, I practice in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, I've been a therapist for about seven years now. So I graduated in 2015. um, But in grad school, we were doing a lot of clinical work and like working with clients. So it's been a a pretty long journey. Um, So I specialize in working with children of immigrants, um, immigrant family dynamics. And I also specialize in working with couples, um, you know, helping them navigate issues related to identity, culture, biculturalism, inner child, 
Um, and then I, I do a lot of general stuff too around anxiety, depression, um, and I, I do work with a lot of like 30 something women um, mm-hmm. around societal expectations and like, you know, where they're, where they thought their lives would be versus where they actually are and like kind of managing those expectations. Wow. It sounds like you got your hands full there. Yeah. <laughs> it's what? a little bit of everything. and I, I love yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. So what inspired you to pursue this career path? So I think one of the biggest things is, um, well, separate from the, like working specifically with South Asian um, population in general. Um, so my mom is actually, she was a social worker in India before she came to the States. Oh, wow. Um, and so she's always, since we were very young, has always emphasized the importance of volunteer work. And so my sister and I would always go to, we would be, um, we would go to like nursing homes and like safe houses for survivors of domestic violence. And we would just mm-hmm. talk with these people. And I just found that like talking to people was just a a way to help them feel seen, feel heard and understood, you know, like these are some very vulnerable populations. And I just found so much, like just so much motivation and drive from that. Mm -hmm. And it, and it felt like something that I wanted to pursue. I was like, this is definitely what I want to do. I want to help people. I want to be able to create that space for people in the future and help them feel seen and heard. Oh yeah. There's a huge power in uh, just conversation. Yeah. So how much of your experience has been within the South Asian community here in the U.S.? Um, So a big part of uh, why I really love working with South Asian population is, well, I mean, I'm South Asian myself, but also like Mm -hmm. this idea of like secrecy, right? There's so much secrecy Mm -hmm. in the South Asian, you know, when, if we're having, if we're struggling with issues or like family problems or, or just any like issues in general, like there's so much secrecy around it. And so I got very interested in this work because just, you know, from personal experience, but also seeing my friends and, and family struggle, but feeling like they can't talk to anyone about it. And so I, work with a lot of South Asian um, individuals, couples, and families. Um, and it's really nice because, you know, on so many levels, like we can relate because there's a very common upbringing. But I also really like it because there's also so many differences, right? Like just South Asia in general has, there's so many different countries, so many different cultures, so many different languages. So like right. the upbringing and the expectations are very different, even though it seems like it can be very similar. Yeah. Is that something that you kind of learned, like how to deal with the South Asian uh, dynamic? Is that something that you learned in your um, like student work or postgrad work? Or was that something that you kind of gained through your experience? Yeah, sadly, a lot of most like graduate programs um, don't focus on like cultural competency is like a very small aspect of the training. And so, you know, it's very, it's very like Eurocentric, very uh, white centered America centered. And so a lot of what I've learned in the last like seven years is through just my own, my own experience and working with clients. That's amazing. Kudos to you. So speaking of like family dynamics, what are some differences that you notice right off the bat between South Asian family dynamics versus like the American family dynamic? Yeah, so I think I've really, so some like bigger themes I've noticed is, Uh um, you know, what will people think? Um, A lot of fear of disappointing parents or like the larger family system. Mm -hmm. Um, Doing things out of obligation is a really big one. And um, 
not being able to see choice in situations. You know, oftentimes I work with clients who feel like, you know, they often say, I have to do this, right? And then we have to tease that apart and be like, okay, well, like, let's see, are, are there any other choices in this? Like, can you see any other choice? And often we have to kind of unpack it, but there is choice, but right. we automatically assume that these are things that we have to do. Do you think that this, this fear of, I have to do it this way to impress my parents, is this something that's kind of stemmed from model minority here in the U.S.? Or do you think that this also occurs in India, like from our roots? I think it's definitely like how our parents were raised, right? Like they didn't question, at least with like my parents, like they just never, and I noticed a lot of my clients who talk about how their parents were raised as well. Like there was just no question, right? You did what you were told and you didn't question it. And you know, everything was about how can we benefit the family, right? And so this idea of choice is, I think is very foreign to our parents. And it feels very like, if you, if you have choice in this matter, then you're betraying me. Right. And that our parents know the best for us. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Interesting. And it's, yeah. And it's really interesting. So like I work with a lot of first generation and second generation. So first generation would be like, if you came to the States, right? Like my parents and I'm considered second generation because I was born here. And, And it's interesting. Like I've worked with third generation and fourth generation as well. And it's like the further the generation is away from the immigrant generation, the less mm-hmm. that they struggle with these issues around fear of disappointed parents or doing things out of obligation. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's really interesting. So how we connected was through your Instagram page, which Reflections with Aparna, which is now known as Reflections with a Therapist. Yes. Um, so <laughs> on that page, which by the way, you guys, listeners, you have to check it out. It's like very digestible information, which I absolutely love and very meaningful for any background, really. Um, so on that page, you mentioned pretty frequently about shame and guilt, like that topic comes up pretty frequently. Um, so in my lack of understanding, I put these two words as synonyms. So shame and guilt, yeah, they kind of go together. But after doing like a headfirst dive into the readings of Brene Brown, I can now <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> understand that these are two separate, but they can stem from the same self-conscious emotions. Can you define these two for us and tell us a little bit more about like what that narrative would look like? Yeah. So the biggest difference between shame and guilt is so, so guilt is you did something bad, right? You attach the, the feeling to the behavior and shame is you are bad. So you internalize that. So for example, if you lied to someone, right, you can feel guilty about that because you're feeling bad about lying. Mm -hmm. But if you're told as a kid, if you're told that you're stupid or you're not worthy or you're a bad person, right? Those are things that you begin to internalize and you feel like a bad person. So why is this so common so, in South Asia? So, big, so I think it's, I think amongst South Asians, it's, it's how we're raised, right? We're raised off of guilt and shame, often sadly. And I think that um, a lot of, it's, it's, it's sort of fear-based, right? Like if you don't do this, this will happen. And so I think there's a lot of like the messages that we receive as children is, you know, like being raised with higher than age appropriate expectations, being told not to talk about how you feel, being yelled at for not getting something right the first time, right? It's these like, yeah, yeah, it's like really these expectations that are just unrealistic. And a lot of times you don't realize that that's what's happening because you're not able to discuss it with anyone else, even within your community. Because again, the secrecy of it. 
Exactly. Exactly. And I think for a lot of like our parents' generation, like the shame and guilt, yes, it, it was functional, right? Because they made it to the States, they created these lives and are successful in a lot of ways, right? But right. everybody overlooks the mental health piece to that. There's like so, there's such an impact on being raised with shame that you, you know, perfectionism brews. It's very difficult to hold, um, you know, intimate relationships because you're constantly thinking that you're not good enough. You're constantly comparing. Yeah. But these are none of these things that we ever talk about. We just look at, oh, they're successful. And that's like detrimental to our growth and emotional health and reducing our self-worth to next to nothing. Exactly. Hmm. How can we recognize this and how can we overcome this? Like, how can we heal this? Well, I think a really big part of healing shame is, so I think with guilt, so before we get into shame, I think with guilt, right, there's healthy guilt, guilt and then unhealthy guilt. So the healthy guilt is like what motivates you to do something. Um, and it, it's a way to like, if you feel guilty about not going to the gym, right. And then, but then you're like, okay, healthy guilt can actually motivate you to go to the gym. And in in a way it it pays off and it, and it's helpful, but unhealthy guilt is what keeps you feeling stuck. And so you kind of like stay stuck in this cycle of feeling bad. And then, and then that could, that's what can lead into shame. Right. And I, so a very big, yeah. So a very big part of healing shame and guilt is actually understanding like, what are your values? And what are your core beliefs, right? So a lot of how we understand and navigate the world is through our parents, right? Like what they taught us. And so we have to think about what are we comparing this behavior to right now? Is this what my parents think or is this what I actually think? Right. Like separating the two without, without like demeaning or disrespecting your parents. Exactly. Like you can hold both, right? Like you can hold, have your own values and beliefs and also still be very respectful of what your parents taught you. Right. Because like growing up, we would, I mean, there were like girls and boys or children older than us that would, you know, kind of guide us and be like, you know what, like you have to rebel a little bit. Otherwise your parents, you know, like they're the ones that are setting the boundaries. And like, if you want what you want, you kind of have to push back a little bit. And I think that's wrong too, because you want to have a good relationship with your parents. You don't want to make them the enemy. So how do we like work towards that? Yeah, I think it's like really like owning your own stuff, right? Like it's, so an example would be like, so when we feel shame, right? It's you automatically jump to this conclusion that you're not good enough. I'm not a good person. I'm a bad person, right? So it's, it's this idea of not assigning meaning to everything that you do. Right. And so you're, you know, something happens and instead of going straight into, well, I wasn't good enough anyway, you try to unpack that a little bit and say, okay, what actually happened here? What are the things that I actually believe? What am I comparing it to? Right. So you're like trying to slow down that entire thought process. Right. Okay. So a little bit of self-compassion there. Self-compassion, self-accountability, I think is really big too, right? Like knowing, owning what, the the mistake or your role in a mistake, but then also holding other people accountable for what their role in that was. Right. But how can we hold others accountable without being like, it's all your fault? (laughs) I mean, I think it's, it's having that conversation, right? Like this was my role and this was your role and this was your impact on me, right? Like it's being able to see 
the gray, right? It's not all right. black and white and trying to find that gray. It's, it's sort of like what I was saying before, right? Like with this idea of choice, being uh -huh. able to see um, it's not just one way, it's either this way or no way. Like there is some, there is a middle ground. There's something that you can do to, to make it feel like um, you're doing something for yourself rather than for someone else. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense now. I love that. I love that you say that you have to see the gray in the situations that it's not black or white or right or wrong, um, that it can be kind of both ways um, and understanding that, right? Yeah. Hmm. And, and I think another piece to this is like checking your expectations, right? Mm -hmm. Like, are you holding yourself to the same expectations that maybe you would hold your friend or a sibling, right? Like some, so people who struggle with shame often have extremely high expectations for themselves because that's how they were raised. And so you're, you're always going to feel like a failure because the bar just keeps going higher and higher right. and so you'll never feel satisfied. Right. So it's like yeah. checking your expectations. Like, is this actually realistic or am mm -hmm. I, am I setting myself up for failure essentially? Aparna, how can something like setting boundaries play a role in healing guilt? I think, okay, so I think a big part of guilt is um, this idea of emotional tolerance, right? So when we, when we set boundaries, we have to become comfortable with letting people down and sitting with that guilty feeling because, and that, that's what we, that's, that's what we call building emotional tolerance because okay. when we, when we set boundaries, we're not setting boundaries to have someone react in a certain way or for someone to say, yes, I accept your boundary. You're actually setting boundaries for yourself and it doesn't really matter what the other person says or thinks. You really have to like internalize that and stick to your guns. And that is a way to eventually help with that guilty feeling is because you build that emotional tolerance over time. Like I'm okay with letting people down. And we often set boundaries actually to make relationships better, right? Because especially with South Asian families, everything that we do is often out of guilt, right? Like you pick up your, the phone when your parents call because you feel guilty. You're asked to come home and you go home a lot because you feel guilty, right? Mm -hmm. But if you start to set these boundaries and you do these things because you want to versus because you have to, mm -hmm. it completely changes the dynamic. I think boundaries, setting boundaries is the hardest thing for me. Um, especially yeah, because it's so hard. I mean, it might be like this for all South Asians. I don't know, because we are always like, well, will that person think of me, especially my parents. Right. So it's yeah. like, even if I feel a little uncomfortable with something, I'll still do it because I'm sure they know better for me or like they've known me since I was a kid or whatever it might be. Right. So I think setting boundaries is so hard. Like, how can I start? Like, what's something small that I can do for setting boundaries? Well, I think it's, you first want to understand like what it is that you want from this relationship, right? Like how, like, what are you, what do you need and what do you expect from this relationship? And I think especially with parents, it's really difficult because like, we don't want to hurt them in any way. Right. right. But you have to remember that when you do something out of obligation or you do something out of guilt, you're actually not showing up as your authentic self. Right. And right. they're completely missing out on that person right? They only know one side of you and that's the side that responds guiltily or responds out of obligation. But if you say, I actually am busy, I can't do this right now, but I can do this at a different time. And reassurance, I think is a really big part of setting boundaries, especially for immigrant families, because mm -hmm. it's this idea of, I think that they feel abandoned or they feel betrayed if you say no, right? Right. Yeah. And so we have to, we have to, 
a big part of setting boundaries is is that reassurance piece. So an example would be like, I can't come home this weekend, but I can come home another weekend, right? Letting them know and setting that, letting them know when you can come home. Because then it takes away that feeling of, wow, my my child is doesn't love me anymore. My child is abandoning me, right? That's funny because that sounds a lot like toddlers. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Only because my world revolves around one toddler. Maybe that's why. <laughs> but it does. It's like, okay, we can't have a cookie right now, but we can have a cookie after dinner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or we're not going to the park right now, but I promise we'll, we'll go later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, and, and I think just to shed a little bit of light on that, I think that a lot of immigrants come to this country in their young 20s and sometimes even late teens, right? Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, that's what it's considered a trauma because it's it's a really big transition, right? You're yes. essentially leaving a country, coming to a new place. You don't often don't speak the language. You don't know anybody, right? And so oftentimes what happens with trauma is you tend to freeze, emotionally freeze at that age. And so it makes sense that our parents respond sometimes that feel very childlike, right? Right. Interesting. That's where they are. Yeah. That's so interesting. So Aparna, I want to (laughs) talk a little bit more about your work with the community. So your Instagram page, Reflections with Aparna, which is now everyone known as Reflections with a Therapist. How did that come to life? And when did you start that? First off, I love teaching and I love educating. Mm-hmm. And I was really inspired by the therapy accounts that I was following already. Mm-hmm. And I decided, I was like, hey, like, I think I can contribute my knowledge to the world as well. Yeah. And so I think that Instagram is so interesting because, you know, not everybody has access to therapy and in no way is Instagram therapy, but I think it's an avenue to help you start thinking about your life differently. Absolutely. And so, and so I was like, let me, let me just start this and like start talking about issues that I think that, you know, a lot of people, um, especially in the South Asian community, don't talk about. Um, and I, I remember I had posted uh, a like children of immigrants, like a mini series. And I was like, let me just post this and see what happens. I was like, these are just sort of thoughts and like things that clients have said. And that's really what like sort of took off. Like a lot right. of people just really latched onto that. And I think it allowed them to feel seen and feel heard and validated. We go through these things in our childhood and early twenties, late twenties, even thirties, but we don't even recognize that these are things that can block us from, you know, achieving more than we, than we do. Um, And like seeing you share a lot of, a lot of your like narratives and little tidbits, it, it kind of puts it to light right? So for us to understand and be able to digest what exactly is happening and put it and put it into words and also share it with someone else. Um, Like, you know, like how you were talking about healing shame um, with self-compassion and, and, and understanding why that was happening to children of immigrants. Like that's really important. And I love that you share that. And there aren't a lot of uh, accounts out there that do that. And another thing I do appreciate about your, um, reflections with a therapist account is that you share other people's posts as well. So love that. I found so many other um, great accounts just through you. So thank you for that. Yeah, I love, you know, there's so many like amazing accounts out there. And it's just like, one account, one account can't have it all. And so I love that 
it's important to just like that other therapists share other other people's work because there's just there's just so much information out there yes yeah and different viewpoints are important and the way you word things and the way other therapists word things or or the viewpoints of a therapist and then a psychiatrist and then a psychologist like it's all just the same topic but different viewpoints um so it's that's really important Okay, so can you tell us a little bit about your work with children of immigrants? Sure, yeah. So a colleague and I, uh, we actually run a, um, it's, it's actually now a workshop series. It started off as a group. And um, we re- this is the third round we're running where we basically, um, it's a group for children of immigrants, uh, adult children of immigrants, where we talk about helping, um, helping understand family dynamics helping understand shame and guilt, triggers, emotional responses, all in relation to being a child of immigrants. And like, like I was saying, there's so many very similar issues around, you know, doing things out of obligation, struggling with shame and guilt, um, thinking about like, you know, the larger family system, mm-hmm. uh, individuating from the family unit is, a, is another big topic that we talk about. And so it really like helps develop this sense of community and like, not feeling like you're alone and so we've had we've had people from all over the world um like their their roots are from all over the world join this group so it's really cool to see you know people from india people from um uh, china people from africa uh, we had someone from jamaica like we've had just so many wow. different backgrounds yeah and it's so cool to see how similar the the patterns and the themes are that's so interesting. I would love to know more about that. Yeah. So um, another thing I came upon was your Jot Masala Women's Group Therapy. So how yes. often do you guys <laughs> how often do you guys do that? Yes. Yeah, so this is another group that me and a colleague run. Um, it's a monthly support group for South Asian women, mm-hmm. uh, and we talk about issues that uh, South Asian women face, whether it's marriage pressure, having kids, in law stress. Um, oh, wow. Work, yeah. Yeah. Work-life balance. And again, I think it's, it's a way to develop a sense of community that helps you feel less alone. Yeah. That's really important and so unique. I don't know a lot of women's groups that are out there that cater to um, South Asian women, to be honest. This is the first one that I came upon. So I might have to join you guys at some point. Yes, it's it's really great. the The group dynamic is is amazing. It's um, anywhere between people are anywhere in like twenty five to like forty five, and mm-hmm. just like the different walks of life and perspective and life stages. It's just so it's so fascinating to watch and be part of. Aparna, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and experience with us today. For our listeners, what's a good way to reach you? Yes, you can follow me on Instagram. So it's reflections with a therapist. Um, and then on that, um, you can also go to my website, which is reflectionswithaparna.com. And um, I was, I'm really happy to be here today. I love talking to you. It was really fun. Thank you. Hopefully we can do this again soon, maybe on another topic. Yes. <laughs> Thank you listeners for tuning in. Don't forget to follow our Instagram page and social media at Manmukti, M-A-N-N-M-U-K-T-I. Subscribe to our podcast, rate it, review it, share it, and look out for our next episode. Bye for now.